nice to be nice to be back in Charlotte Chapel as a substitute. I'm always happy to. It's a great privilege to be back here and to share God's word. As always, we need God's help to understand it and certainly to obey it. So let's just pray first of all. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As all of you will know, on Monday the 2nd, 22nd of February, a large earthquake struck the city of Christchurch in New Zealand, bringing devastation and destruction to large parts of the city, burying several hundred people in the ruins. The final death toll is likely to be 182 people. So let me ask you a question. When you heard the news, when you saw the pictures, what did you feel? As you all know, three weeks later, on Friday, March the 11th, one of the largest earthquakes on record hit northeastern Japan, generating a tsunami up to 30 feet, uh, 30 feet high, which devastated the coast. Uh, the current death toll is 9,300 people and 13,800 people are still missing. So let me ask you the question. When you heard the news, when you saw the pictures, what did you feel? And then this week, Wednesday, 23rd of March, a bomb went off at a bus stop in the center of Jerusalem killing a British woman and injuring more than 30 people, three of them seriously. So let me ask you the question. When you heard the news, when you saw the pictures, what did you feel? In each of these three cases, I am sure that all of us felt very deeply. We were emotionally involved by the suffering of the victims and their families. Why? because we share a common humanity. We are all part, as far as I can tell, looking around, part of the human family. So let me ask you another question, the same question, but slightly nuanced. If you are a New Zealander, did you feel more deeply about what happened in Christchurch? If you are Japanese, did you feel more deeply about what happened in your country? If you're British or Jewish, did you feel more deeply about what happened in Jerusalem? I was down south this week, attending the board meetings of the mission I've been involved with as a member and then a, a, a trustee for the last 40 years, Wycliffe Bible Translators, when we received details of the Jerusalem bombing. And we were all deeply shocked and moved because our board meetings were interrupted by someone telling us that the victim, the British woman, was Mary Gardner, a member of our Wycliffe family. 
dedicated her life. Finished translating the New Testament into the Ife language in Togo, was learning Hebrew to translate the Old Testament. We feel deeply, more deeply because she's part of our family, our deeper family. In fact, my daughter Becky here, when she was a student, went out to Togo and spent 10 days with Mary in the village. We feel deeply about things that happen to all people, but we feel more deeply about the things that happen to those closest to us, those we love, to our family. We exhibit what we could call family feelings, do we not? Now, when you become a Christian, a true Christian, born again of the Spirit of God, you not only enter into an intimate relationship with God as your Heavenly Father, you also discover that you gain a much bigger family than you ever had before, a spiritual family of people who all worship together and all address Him as our Father. And the things that happen to your fellow family members, whether good or bad, affect how you feel ranging from joy to sadness and the whole gamut of emotions in between. This is true of all Christians. We are, if you like, spiritual siblings. The New Testament describes us as brothers, and of course, it includes women as well, sisters. And this is especially true of those who are spiritual parents, those who have spiritual children, people you may have led to Christ, or baby or young Christians that you're seeking to nurture in their faith. And this evening I want to focus on an example of this from the Bible, uh, which we find in this letter written by a Christian leader named Paul. Uh, we read earlier in the New Testament book of Acts that Paul and his friends were on a missionary tour in Greece, traveling from town to town, preaching to people about Jesus. And one of the places they visited was this city called Thessalonica. And quite a few people there responded to their message. Uh, they became part of Christ's family. You can see it on the map if you can follow Thessalonica's at the top there. But other people didn't like it. And they stirred up trouble so that Paul and his friends had to leave town in a hurry. Eventually, they wound up in the famous Greek city of Athens. But while he was there in Athens, Paul was desperately concerned about these new Christians. He left behind his spiritual children, still babies in Christ. And he experienced very strong and painful what I want to call family feelings. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to read about this and then focus on it this evening. 1 Thessalonians 2. We're going to read verse 17 at the end of the chapter through to the end of chapter 3. It's page 1187 if you have a pew Bible. 1187. 1 Thessalonians 2. And as we read, notice the language of emotion that comes out in this passage. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person though not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, 
again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you. He's brought us good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, that you long to see us just as we long also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you and return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is God's word. Let me focus on what we learn from these verses about what Paul felt. Here's the first thing. The first thing he felt, he describes as intense longing. Intense longing. You'll see that in chapter 2 and the final section that we read together. Uh, Paul describes what happened when he and his friends suddenly had to leave town under cover of darkness for their own safety because of a violent mob as being torn away. Uh, the word torn away is literally in Greek. Uh, orphaned, ap orphan, orphanizomai, if you want the, the long Greek word from which we get orphan, ap, well, anyway, I'm not going to Greek grammar, but ap orphanizomai. Like a parent whose child is suddenly ripped from their arms, so they feel like someone who was suddenly and unexpectedly bereaved or bereft. No time for goodbyes. It was a traumatic separation, which we read about in Acts 17, torn away. You see, Paul had these very strong feelings about these Christians in Thessalonica. Earlier in chapter 2, if you've got your Bible open there, you'll see he describes himself, quite interestingly, as a mother. You see that in verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7. He says, we were gentle like a mother caring for her little children. A few verses later in verse 11, he describes himself as a father. We dealt with each of you, verse 11, as a father deals with his own children. And now in verse 17, and again in chapter 3, verse 7, he calls them brothers. He is Paul the brother. So he really did experience family feelings. He felt like a mother, a father, and a brother, and maybe even an orphan to these baby Christians. And so he has this deep desire to see them again. Out of this intense longing, we made every effort to see you. 
It appears from the background to this letter that after Paul left, other people had come into the church in Thessalonica and they'd badmouthed Paul. They'd said, he's one of these itinerant evangelists who goes around, you know, leading you to Christ and telling you his stories. And then he just disappears at the first sign of trouble. Paul doesn't really bother about you. He's not really concerned about you. He's moved on. And Paul wants to tell them this is not the case. He himself has been abandoned, bereaved by what has happened. He's done all he can to get back to see them. But despite repeated efforts, he says, this has not been possible. And he tells them, interestingly, the reason for this. He says, because Satan stopped us. Verse 18, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I pulled it again and again, but Satan stopped us. The, the literal translation of the word stop there is, you've got a if you've got a course that you're progressing down, it's someone who cuts in on you and stops you progressing any further. Maybe you're driving down the road and someone in a car swerves in front of you and stops you going any further. That's the word he uses. We don't know how or what happened. Maybe Paul wanted to go back and the authorities put a ban on him and stopped him going back into the area. That's quite possible. And maybe it was that mysterious thorn in the flesh that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, which he describes as a messenger of Satan. Uh, some people think it was an illness he had, maybe even malaria. Uh, we don't know, but what we do know is that in these situations, in every situation where you have a church that is alive, where people are being born again of the Spirit of God, there is always a battle for their survival. And the battle involves a fierce enemy, an adversary, whom the Bible calls Satan or the devil, who is a real personality, who is out to destroy relationships within churches. And we need to recognize this battle is still going on wherever people are preaching about Jesus, where people are responding, becoming members of God's family, what we call his church. Not a building, a group of people who meet in the name of Jesus. The devil always tries to disrupt Christian families, destroy Christian churches and if you get involved in this in a local church you will discover that you will experience family feelings like Paul did they're the kind of experiences you feel about your own children if you have children you want them to survive the attacks of Satan you want them to grow up as strong and healthy Christians and if for some reason you're separated from them you will long to see them you will feel it very deeply and that's what Paul felt like. His great hope and desire is that these baby Christians are not just going to survive these attacks, but will finally make it to the end when Jesus comes. And then Paul will rejoice in his children who finally made it. It's, it's almost, and you know what I mean by this, Paul's pride in his children. It doesn't mean a wrong kind of pride, but he's proud of his children. For what is our hope, he says, our joy or the crown in which we'll glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Now let me pause to ask. Some of you are older Christians, and I know quite a few of you, like me, older Christians. Uh, maybe not in this church, maybe in another church. Do you have strong feelings about the younger Christians in this church? Those who are starting out in the faith. Those who are struggling with temptation and difficulties. Does it cause you anguish when they slip up and go astray? Does it cause you joy when you see them going on as Christians? And if you're a new Christian, at the other end of the scale as it were, in this church or any church, 
you need to know that you have older brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, who are desperately concerned for you, for your spiritual health and welfare, that you'll survive the attacks of Satan, that you'll grow up as a strong and healthy Christian, and that you'll finally make it when Jesus comes again. But you and none of us have finally made it yet. And neither had these Christians in Thessalonica. There was a battle going on. And that's why Paul writes, he's desperately keen to see them, but he can't do it for some reason. His intense longing for them is followed by what we could describe as unbearable anxiety. Uh, Look at this next section in chapter 3, 1 to 5. Paul says twice he could stand it no longer. He wants to go and see these Christians. He can't make it. He wonders what's happening. And he says twice, I could stand it no longer. The pain of not knowing what's happening. How are they coping under Satan's attack? So at personal cost, for he will be left alone in Athens as he once be, was once before in a very foreboding, idolatrous atmosphere, he sends his young colleague Timothy, our brother he describes him as, a member of the family. He says, I'm sending him another family member, God's fellow worker, to visit you. We don't know why Timothy could go and Paul couldn't go. You can only speculate. Maybe he wasn't on the blacklist if that was the case. But anyway, notice two reasons for sending Timothy to the Thessalonians. First of all, he says, I'm sending him to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. The word strengthen means what it sounds like, to build someone up in their faith. The word encourage means someone to come alongside and help you. It's the same root word that Jesus used in John's Gospel to describe the Holy Spirit, literally the paraclete. That's a Greek word that means parakalio. It means to to call alongside someone to help you. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come from heaven and he'll come alongside and help you. But often, the Lord sends the Holy Spirit in human form. A person who comes alongside to help you, to encourage you when the going is tough. Especially those who are in danger of being unsettled by trials. He reminds them that these trials are what we were told to expect, what we were destined for. Verse 4, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out this way, as you well know. It's a very sad fact that some preachers don't tell people this is what they should expect. Or if they do, it's in very small print at the bottom and unreadable. In fact, they often tell them just the opposite, that all will be wonderful and well when there's a cloud in the sky and life will be a bed of roses. But roses have painful thorns and Christians have painful experiences. And every person who becomes a Christian not only becomes a child of God, but also a soldier of Christ, facing a formidable enemy whose main aim is to tempt you into sin. Let me speak to those of you who are new Christians or young Christians. Maybe you're experiencing temptation. And it's pretty tough. I I look around the world we live in today and, and I think... It must be pretty tough. It, I think it's tougher than when I was a young person, which was a long time ago. Uh, I simply want to say to you, don't be discouraged by what is happening to you. Or even worse, that you're a failure because you're being tempted. Rather, temptation is a sure sign of spiritual life. For as someone has said, and repeatedly said, the devil doesn't bother with a dead lion. So Paul knows these new Christians will be tempted, are being attacked. He's concerned that they will make it. And so he sends Timothy to get alongside them and to help them. We need one another. That's the one reason. But linked in with this is the second reason, which I think is the main reason why 
Paul sends Timothy to find out about your faith, he says. Look at verse 5. For this reason, he repeats again, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Now, I was reflecting on this and thinking to myself, it's a bit strange that Paul confesses to this. Had he never read Philippians 1, you know, he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, he hadn't read it because he hadn't written it yet. But surely he believed that. Surely he believed in the perseverance of the saints. Surely he believed once saved, always saved. I'm sure he did and so do I. But I'm encouraged that it didn't stop him worrying. It's very honest, isn't it? Very real. He's desperately worried for these Christians. He didn't just sit back and say, well, Satan's at work there, but if they're going to make it, they're going to make it. No, he's concerned. He can stand it no longer. See how strong his natural feelings were. But thankfully we see, finally, that his fears were unfounded. We turn to a third family feeling in verses 6 to 11. Overwhelming joy. I'm sure all of us at some time or other have well probably in these days of email and mass communications and the internet we probably don't but when I was growing up if you were waiting for your exam results or, or, or some important letter you sat by the, by the window waiting for the postman to arrive hopefully with good news now I know you just access the internet now and find out and everybody else finds out about it but, or maybe you're waiting for a letter from the hospital about tests that you've had or as here news from someone that you love and as Paul writes this he tells the Thessalonians, he says, I'm writing this because Timothy just came back, the postman, with the news. Good news from Thessalonica. Verse 6, first half. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Very interesting that the word good news here is the word that's usually translated evangelize or gospel. And this is the only case in the New Testament where the word is not used of the gospel about Jesus, but about something or someone else. But there is a close link, because the good news about Jesus should produce good news in the lives of those who receive him. And so Timothy brings good news. Notice what he says about the faith and love of the Thessalonians. First of all, about their love. The fears that Paul had that the Thessalonians might have turned against him proved to be unfounded. Uh, second half of verse 6, he, Timothy, has just told us, has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Uh, their lives are bound together in love. So Paul is filled with joy about their love and he's filled with joy about their faith, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. He's overwhelmed with joy. You can sense a sort of relief that what he fears hasn't happened, what he hoped has happened. Paul sent Timothy, he says, to encourage them. And now, same word, Paracalio, he is encouraged by them. And so we see him turning to God in praise. How can we thank God enough for you <coughs> in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you in verse 9 yet he still longs to see them he turns to God in petition night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again supply what is lacking 
in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, clear the way for us to come to you. He still wants to get there, and so he prays that the Lord might make it possible. It actually took five years for the prayer to be answered before Paul was eventually able to get back to Thessalonica. That was in God's hands. In the Bible Speaks Today commentary on uh, Thessalonians, John Stott writes, What is this extravagant language? I've sometimes asked myself, What is this loving and longing, this intolerable suspense when there was no news, this overwhelming joy when the news was good, this affectionate care and fervent prayer, this sense of intimate solidarity with them, so that his life was wrapped up in their life and theirs in his? He goes on, my answer is that this is the language of parents who are separated from their children, who miss them dreadfully, or are profoundly anxious when they have no recent news of them. Pastoral love is parental love. That is its quality. As I read these verses again, I must have read them many times over the years, I found them pretty challenging, really. You know, you think of Paul as this kind of remote theologian or this master evangelist that conquered the Roman will for Christ. But here he reveals his heart, his emotions, his involvement with these Christians in Thessalonica. So let me just say something in conclusion as we look at the last two verses of our section. I began by asking you how you felt when you saw those scenes of suffering in New Zealand, in Japan, in Israel. We thought of the deeper feelings, family feelings, that we experience as members of the family of Christ. Now let me say something. If you're sitting there and saying, in all honesty, and only God knows, you're saying to yourself, well, actually, I, I don't really feel that. Well, I don't feel it in any intensity. Can I suggest to you that there may be one of two reasons? First of all, it may be that you're not a member of the family yet. I mean of God's family. That you don't belong to Christ. That you don't have that living relationship with Him, which has brought you into this living relationship with other people. Maybe you've been coming here to church and you enjoy it, but you kind of feel a bit of an outsider. You don't really care, but does anyone care for you? And I want to tell you that Christ cares for you. He laid down his life for you so that you might become a child of God. First chapter of John's Gospel, writing of Jesus says, He was in the world, though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And then he goes on to describe how you become a family member. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. If you're not a Christian yet, I plead with you. Jesus Christ came into the world for your forgiveness, to bring you into God's family, among many other wonderful benefits, to bring you into God's family so that you know Him intimately as your Heavenly Father. He placed His Spirit within you. You need to turn from your sin, from your rebellion against Him, and put your faith in Christ to receive Him. And he gives you the right and privilege to become his child. And then you discover you've got this enormous family that you never knew you had. Wonderful. That's the first reason why you may not care. You're not a member of the family. But it's also possible to be a member of the family of God. Maybe you say, no, no, I, I, I'm a Christian. 
I became a Christian X number of years ago, 5, 10, 15, 20, 40, 50. It's still possible to be a member, a family member, a child of God, yet to feel little about God's people. One of the things I've noticed since leaving the chapel and sort of interacting with people outside of the chapel here is I'm becoming increasingly disturbed by the number of Christians who have withdrawn from family life, who've distanced themselves from Christian fellowship. And I know why. Because you've been hurt in the past. And the feelings were too painful. And you said to yourself, I'm never going to trust myself to something like that again. And so you withdraw from the family. Or if I ask you and say you're Christian, oh, definitely I'm a Christian. You may even go to church and be on the periphery. But you're not really involved with people. You're not going to join one of those fellowship groups. Nobody paid me to say that, by the way. <laughs> That's true in Alice here. You don't want to belong, you know. It's on your terms. You don't want to commit to others. You don't want to risk the pain of family feelings. But you're going to miss out on the joy of family feelings. I'll be absolutely honest with you. I've been out of the chapel now for 18 months out of, in a sense, intimate pastoral ministry. I'm away a lot, and we worship at Nidri, which is great when we're around, but I'm kind of not involved in a deep way. And I can see the temptation of saying, I think I'll settle for that till I go to glory. Because it really is painful sometimes getting involved with people. But it's become clear to me, it's not really an option if you're serious about your family membership. You've got to plug in somewhere. Get involved with some local Christians. We need one another. That's not what God intends for us. And so I want to leave you this challenge. If you're not a Christian, you need to become a family member. If you are a Christian, you need to get back into intimate family relationships. Because there's young Christians out there who need your encouragement and help. Every church desperately needs people to get alongside others and help them in their faith. It's hard work. It's a battle because we've got an enemy, the devil. But it's worthwhile work, joyful work. And when you get to glory, it, yeah, it's all by grace, but in the end, there'll be nothing more joyful than to see people that you either led to Christ or helped in their faith who are your joy and your glory. None of the other things will count. What size house you had, what big salary you had, all the other things that you took pride in. So invest your life. Invest your life in intimate relationships with other Christians. Painful though it may be. And so Paul concludes with a prayer which... Maybe it's a good place to stop. A prayer for all Christians. I'll read it. It's a prayer for you and me. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other 
and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And all God's people said, Amen. May God help us. I'm going to sing a final hymn.